You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode of the Six Cents Podcast. I'm here, Lucas, with uh, and your co-host Christopher Klein, site expert of the Six Cents here, and we have a special guest today, Noah Levick of NBC Sports Philly. Go ahead. Hey, thanks, uh, thanks so much for having me on, guys. Uh, I'm Noah Levick, as uh, Lucas said. I work for NBC Sports Philadelphia, uh, help cover the Sixers for them. Noah, thanks again for coming on. We're super excited to get this podcast started, I and mean, we really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Yeah, so I guess our first question, um, just to kind of open things up, is um, could you maybe tell us a little bit about your role at NBC Sports Philly and uh, what exactly you do there? Yeah, so I, I am a writer, web producer, reporter at NBC Sports Philadelphia. Uh, started in September 2017. Uh, and yeah, as a web producer, I kind of help run the site on a day-to-day basis. So editing stories, copy editing, helping lay out the site, and then the writing, uh, reporting side of it, I help with our six-word coverage of doing damn observations, writing columns, reporting stories, uh, all of that kind of stuff. Encompassed within your reporting, do you do uh, work with the Blue Coats as well? Uh, I do a little bit. Um, I yeah, wish I could could get out there a little bit more, but um, I have gone to a couple of games, and yeah, it's definitely um, definitely a very unique experience out there. I would would recommend it to to any Sixers fans who haven't yet had that opportunity. Obviously, you haven't been to as many Blue Coats games and whatnot, but overall, which would you say you enjoy covering more, the Blue Coats or the Sixers? Yeah, it's, I mean it's. It's actually a tough one. As again, as you say, there's that, that like smaller sample size with the blue coats, but it was 
has been something um, that I really enjoyed. You just get a more intimate atmosphere there, a little bit um, better access to players and coaches than you might get um, in an NBA setting. Uh, so yeah, there's there's things to like to like about each um, for sure. Yeah, I actually work closely with Jason Blevins of the Painted Lines, and he does a lot of blue coat stuff, and he's said very similar oh. things to what you just said. Um, yeah, yeah, he that does, is so much he does more. Awesome work with mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's just a really intimate environment, and he, he's basically told me that you know I wish I could do blue coats full time because it's just such a unique, interesting experience. So I've heard a lot of the same things. Yeah, I agree with him on that 100%. Yeah, and, and they do great work over there at the Painted Lines and cover that team pretty closely, for sure. You know, native Delawarean, I don't currently live in Delaware, but, uh, you know, G League team there is something special for the community out there, for sure. And I'm sure you could probably uh, test to that just by, you know, the little sample size that you have covered them with. Yeah, that, that definitely seems to be the case. Um, the 76ers Fieldhouse is certainly, uh, certainly a beautiful facility. Um, you know, they were they were playing, I guess, at University of Delaware uh, to start the season. But, yeah, now the field house will be up and running and hosting all their you know home games for this upcoming year. And that's definitely exciting for that that local community. We'll get back on track with the Sixers. Uh, and, you know, just a brief thought, your brief thoughts on this on moves made by the Sixers this past season, you know, with the uh, the false trade, the uh, Butler and the trades for, for uh, Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris. Just your general thoughts on that and how the team gelled in general and how the end result of those trades uh, during the postseason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think Alton Grand showed in his, his first season as general manager that he was – going for it and wasn't scared to make uh, bold moves. I think the word you use gelled is certainly operational in this case. And um, that's something that just unfortunately did not happen for them. uh, Given, you know, they only had 20 odd regular season games with what Brett Brown called Sixers 3.0, you know, after that um, massive trade for Harris Uh, looking, I guess at the trades individually, I think, the false trade was one I thought was quite reasonable to make at the time. I think it had just gotten kind of gotten to a point where if they'd uh, stuck with that situation, there probably wasn't going to be much more value there for faults. And um, yeah, they made a difficult call there, I think, to give up on a number one pick. But I think um, it, it, it was one that you can, you can understand. I think um the Butler trade to me was was certainly an eye-opening one. Again, as far as kind of signifying um, just Brand's kind of attitude of we think this team, um, you know, was that one major move away from from contention. Um, and you know, I, we can talk about later. He he had to pivot um, certainly from Jimmy Butler this offseason. Uh, with Harris, I think it's probably the easiest one to argue that it was a bit of an overpay. I think he gave up a lot in that deal. Uh, Landry Shamit is a player that I was high on and continue to be really high on, just a mature young player who has one real elite skill, gets off his shot uh, really, really quickly, um, and I, I think certainly has a future in this league. And then also you gave up that 2021 unprotected first rounder um, in that trade. Mm. Uh, so they're certainly banking. They're certainly banking on Harris. Um, 
to be a, a key part of their future now with that uh, five-year deal. So, yeah, I think um, you could call it a mixed a mixed bag with those in-season trades, but uh, for the most part, you can understand, at least from my perspective, the, the rationale uh, behind them and just the way it worked out, you know, was that within this season, the 20-odd games wasn't enough for those different personalities and those different uh, types of players to gel enough to win a championship. But um, we'll see how this reloaded version of the team, you know, does in 2019-20, I guess. So I want to go back to the, the what you said about faults. And, and, you know, and I look back at the trade now, and I recently wrote a, a article on this, but I look at back at the trade, and despite, you know, OKC now are in full tank mode, and they're probably going to keep their first-round pick in 2020, the pick that the Sixers received in the Fultz trade uh, from Orlando. And, you know, the fact that the Sixers had to attach the 42nd pick to get rid of Jonathan Simmons because his uh, contract was basically dead money at this point. I, 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 you know, despite those setbacks, I still see this as a uh, the Fultz the, the trend at, uh, trade as a win for the Sixers because – there's still no timetable for Fultz. Like, you know, uh, Magic head coach Steve Clifford said that Fultz is making good progress. You know, he's doing good, but there's no timetable. They're not rushing him to get back. It seems like same story, new team, same old story, new team. So in that respect, you know, yes, we lost multiple first-round picks to acquire. You know, we lost a first-round pick to acquire Fultz, but really, you know, to initially uh, draft Fultz. But, you know, Considering what, and I don't like using the term damaged goods for a player, but for the the for the lack of production that he was really producing at at the cost that he was originally bought, the uh, rights were bought at. I think the Sixers are still winning the uh, trade in that regard because you still get, uh, you know, you still have the two second round picks that are going to come from the Thunders uh, first pick, not com- first round pick, not conveying. And then the pick that they got from the Thunder via, I mean, the magic via the Cavs was used in the deal to eventually get Matisse Thibel, who looks to be a very good three and D player right away. Could end up being a Trevor Ariza type of player where he's like a pivotal uh, relation P uh, three, like one of the best three and D players in the league. That's, that's my ceiling for him, but you know, I that's I, I found it interesting that you think that that and I, I agree with you. I think that for the value that they could have gotten for Fultz, I think they did a good job for what they could get based on his low value at the time. Yeah, I think that's absolutely um, a fair way to look at it. I mean, I think you know, you say who's who's going to win that trade. It all it ultimately all depends. Uh, does Markel Fultz ever get back on the basketball court? Does his shot ever look anything close to like what we saw in college? But yeah, I think um, from the Sixers' outlook, it wouldn't have been smart in that situation to, I guess, try to try to salvage your number one pick and look at it that way. You have to look at it as um, this is a player who we have no reason to believe. Um, can help us with our goal of winning a championship in the next couple years. Um, they didn't really have any confidence, I think, to think that. So, um, understandable, I think. Uh, and yeah, we'll see who wins the trade. I think we, we might not know that for a few years. And um, the winner of that trade is basically the outcome 
most likely of Marco Fultz's career. So. And Noah, um, just to go back to the Butler and Harris trades in specific, obviously the Sixers were at the time banking on trying to convince those guys to stay long-term. They traded away pretty valuable assets, as you mentioned, for two guys on expiring contracts. And with that comes a pretty great deal of risk. You know, just looking back on it, in hindsight, do you think the risk was uh, worth taking from Philly's perspective? Yeah, I think um, with the Butler trade, I have much less hesitation in saying yes. And um, as we can, you know, maybe get into more detail with later, I think that they pivoted very well um, when, you know, the circumstances did not allow them to bring back Butler this offseason. Uh, with the Harris trade, um, I'm, I'm much more hesitant to be, be affirmative with, with the risk being worth it, I would say. Um, really, yeah, was was very high on Landry Shamit. Um, and yeah, continue to continue to think he has a really strong future in this league. Um, but hey, I mean, Tobias Harris um, now has. Him, you know himself and I think what will be a much more comfortable role uh, he's going to have a lot more opportunities with the ball in his hands late in games he won't be pushed to the background nearly as much as he was with Butler in the fold and I think you know there's a, a good chance that that ends up being beneficial for him and he ends up um, you know coming close to or maybe even living up to that uh, five years 180 but yeah, I think if if I had to judge the Harris trade, you know, right now, obviously we won't know for another five years, but my gut says it's a little bit of an overpay for him. Whereas with the Butler trade, I think the risk made a lot of sense, and I think the pivot um, in ending you know ending up with Josh Richardson and, and Al Horford uh, this offseason um, was pretty smart and pretty strong for Melton Brand in that in that situation. Yeah, I, 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 I think I tend to agree that the Sixers did slightly overpay, but I think it all comes down to with Harris now, and I'm just going to say this before we move on, uh, that I think if he makes at least one all-star game under this contract, which I, 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 I firmly believe he does, I recently wrote about it, I, I, I think um, then it's worth the contract, and I think it's worth the trade if he makes an all-star game or two. Um yeah, but moving I mean, on, because I, uh, I don't want to get, I don't want to get, go ahead. Yeah, I think all-star games, you know, can can be a little bit arbitrary. And so he certainly had a case, perhaps, to, to be an all-star in the Western Conference uh, last year. But, I mean, I, I think he's going to be well-positioned to, to do that this season and, and possibly the next, um, just given he's he's going to be the guy carrying a lot of the scoring load uh, for the Sixers. So we'll see. Okay, so now that we talked about the trades a little bit, I want to go into the postseason, and particularly your feelings in that Game 7 against the Raptors, and, and you know, when Kawhi made the, the, the luckiest shot, I, I, I will call it the luckiest shot in NBA history with that role, with the, what was it, four, four, uh, four bounces? And then, you know, what was, uh, because you covered the team, what was the feeling around the franchise immediately afterwards? Your feelings plus theirs. 
Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I just, there was definitely shock. You know, it took a little little bit to register that, that something that insane had, had just happened. Um, I think that was probably a pretty universal feeling and, and something shared by a lot of the players. Um, and then I think understand, understandably, there's just that initial devastation and disappointment and, you know, um, just regret about, about what could have been. Um, because I think the Sixers team um, feels like, you know, if, if they get to an overtime, they feel good about their chances. You know, if they win that overtime and they move on to the Eastern Conference Finals, they think they're the team coming out of the East. And I don't think, you know, they're so crazy to have confidence that, you know, if, if that shot doesn't go in, um, they, they might end up, you know, playing in the NBA Finals this past season. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, obviously like a pivotal moment in NBA history. Um, and so the Sixers were a part of it and uh, on the losing end of it. Uh, I think, like I said, when I, when I introduced the question, I think it's just one of the luckiest shots in NBA history. And I think that if it didn't go in, I think the Sixers had a real shot of winning it in overtime. And then who knows? We could be talking about Sixers being NBA champions and, you know, Jimmy Butler is still being a part of the franchise. Who knows? I, I certainly do. You know, I'm not – I can't look into alternate realities. This is an Avengers end game. Um, but, you know, I think uh, I, I, I think that, that that loss really did help push young players like Embiid and Simmons to – take major steps this summer and hopefully we see that this fall. Yeah. It's uh, I think what's so kind of unique about that moment. And this is, I think probably true in, in a lot of postseason series or, or, in, you know, pivotal instances in sports. But that, I mean, that one there, as you said, there are just so many hypotheticals you can run through and potential impacts it, you know, could have had. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, the experience, you know, you would hope for uh, Joel and Ben, as you mentioned, would would be a, would be a motivating thing. But um, we'll, we'll see how that turns out. I guess shifting our um, attention beyond the playoffs into the draft. Um, when you look at the Sixers moves as a whole, obviously they traded away a lot of the second round picks and kind of focused on. They focused in on two players in particular, in Matisse Thibel and Mariel Shayok. How would you grade those moves? And just as a whole, how would you, how do you feel about the Sixers draft this year? Yeah, I, I don't think they had a great draft night personally, um, in the sense that I think, as you said, they kind of narrowed their options for success to basically. A, Matisse Seibel has to end up uh, being a really good player, and I think they are banking on him being someone who contributes for them um, early, you know, as a rookie, um, given his track record as a four-year player and the fact that they, you know, made this promise to him and, you know, put a pretty high um, high value on him as a player. Um, so I think, A, yeah, Seibel needs, needs to work out. Um and then B, they needed to nail uh, free agency. I mean, if we're, if we're just going back, Elton Brand kind of put himself in this position where he kind of um, 
said, you know, look, we don't we don't think young many young players are going to be in a position to help us, just given how talented our team is and the ambition we have in winning a championship, you know, next season. Um, so we're going to shy away from those young players. So as far as like Thibault himself, I, I think he's a good good prospect in the sense that um, he has one like elite skill being off-ball defense and, uh, you know, set records in the Pac-12 for steals and um, has an incredible, I think, explosiveness and instincts defensively um, and projects pretty well as a 3 and D player and showed even in summer league, um, you know, that he, he's a comfortable spot-up shooter and that, that skill seems to, I think, project well to the next level. So I, I, think, he's, I think he's a good prospect. But as far as the draft as a whole, I, I don't think I can really say that my feeling is they did a great job just because I think coming out with with two players and, and giving Boston what they gave up, you know, in order to select Thibault, um is just is just not a great night. Um, so, yeah, if I had to give it a grade, I, I'd probably give it like a C overall, I think. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with most of what you said. I think Thibel at 20 in a vacuum was a pretty great value, but obviously we saw the reports of Boston kind of calling the Sixers bluff and forcing them into that trade, which isn't a great look uh, for Elton Brand. And with the second round, the Sixers really need to load up on young, cheap talent at this point. They're essentially capped out now for the next three, four years at least with the contracts they handed out this summer. So getting, you know, cheap usable depth is really important and the second round is a great way to do that so I, I do think trading away as many picks as they did kind of put a damper on the night um yeah I think that's I think that's yeah. a good point Chris um because well I think El, you know Elton Brand is sensible in saying perhaps you know if we if the Sixers had selected uh you know four or five guys that all four or five weren't going to help next year um, getting those those cheap players under contract for the next three or four seasons uh, from a team building standpoint seems to be the way to go. I agree with you there. I agree with you guys too. I think you know you look at the players that uh, Brand selected, not players with particularly high ceilings, but Kyle, you know, uh, I believe the senior seniors, you know, and. Uh, you know, Shayok and uh, Thibel. And, you know, it kind of, you know, it, it's, he's looking to the immediate right now and, and, you know, win now, you know, get players that can contribute early right away, and Thibel. And then, you know, he's still, you know, I don't like the moves, don't get me wrong, but, you know, he is not like he just gave away the picks minus, uh, you know, minus the 42nd pick with uh, Jonathan Simmons. But, you know, I don't think I think he's sacrificing win now for team building. You know, uh, having you know young talent with potential down the road, and that that's the part of the that bothered me personally the most because I I'm a huge you know I'm a huge you know potential guy and I like I like seeing players you know develop over time. Um, so I I think um, you know. I think he was, he's the opposite Sam Hinkie here. He's the anti-Sam Hinkie in that regards to this particular draft. 
Yeah, I mean, to, to to give him, I think, some credit or to to maybe shed some light on how he might have been thinking. I mean, you know, if, if Sam Hinkie was in a similar position, you know, perhaps there would have um, been a similar mindset of long long term building uh, is not the highest priority here, but. I think it's reasonable to say that they're probably in any draft is, is always a balance for for a team, um, you know, between the long term and, and the short short term. And they skewed heavily toward toward the short short term in this draft. Um, that said, you you bring up Shaq's name. He, he's he's a player that it that I like. I know he wasn't kind of a consensus player who's going to be drafted um some people maybe even thought it was a reach i i think he's i think he's a pretty good player i think there's natural scoring ability there i think he's uh, a very capable three-point shooter has a seven-foot wingspan gets his shot off really quickly which i think tends to be an underrated uh skill and a prospect so i, I think there might be something there in Shaq. i think he might be a player that could could help them down the line um so no, so uh, I like Shayok. So I got a question for you now, Noah. Looking at you know the rookies and the in the second year players like Thibel, Shayok, uh, Zaire Smith, Jonah Bolden, Shake Milton, who just got a nice contract. Um, what, what type? Of, what do you expect from them this year? Uh, especially with you know uh, the depth at the power forward spot uh, in front of Bolden, and then Milton's a very uh, disappointing summer league. Yeah, so I guess can run through starting with the, the two guys we were just discussing. So, Thibault, I'm pretty inclined to think he, he's going to have a role in the regular season. I don't necessarily see that uh, also being the case in the playoffs. I think that's something he's going to have to earn, and Brett Brown has shown... Um, a tendency to favoring older players and maybe being a little uh, reluctant to use younger guys in the playoffs. So he'll certainly have to uh, show he's worthy of that. But yeah, I think in the regular season, um, he's, he's going to carve out a nice little role for himself. Um, show, show that, that three and D ability, um, be disruptive defensively. And, um, I think that that's what you can expect from him as a rookie. Uh, with Shayok, uh received the two-way deal. I think he's going to uh, put up some impressive numbers in the G League as far as his scoring. Um, and yeah, I, I think it, you know it's a year for growth for him, and I'm curious to see how he does with that. But I think in the G League, um, he, he's, he's going to be pretty productive there. Uh, I guess so the, the next guy would be uh, you mentioned Jonah Bolden. Uh, yeah, I think I think with the size they added, it, it doesn't seem super likely that he's going to be a part of their rotation. Unfortunately for him, um, I think with Bolden, there's there's a lot of tools to like with the athleticism, with the rim protect protection, with the switchability on defense. Um, but he hasn't yet put it together consistently. And, you know, last year there were pretty common issues with excessive fouling and with turning the ball over. And so, so maybe, maybe he gets a shot here or there this season, but 
I think the leash might be rather short with him, just given, as you mentioned, the depth they already have and the size they already have. Um, Jake, Jake Milton, I think, will be in a competition with uh, Howell Neto for backup point guard minutes. Um, again, as I noted, I think Jeff Brown is probably more likely to favor the veteran and lean in that direction. Um, so I, I think Milton um, will be hard-pressed to find regular minutes, but I do think he's a player that will contribute here and there during the regular season. I, I think he's much better than he showed us in summer league when he shot, I think it was six for 36. Um, I, I think he has a smooth, uncomplicated uh, shot that, um, will will translate a lot better than we saw this summer um, eventually. But, you know, he I don't think that he's going to be necessarily a key piece for them this year, um, given the presence of, of Neto and given just the way Brett Brown tends to um, make his rotations, essentially. And then Zaire Smith, I'm extremely, extremely high on. I think um, he's someone who I, I believe um, will carve out a role for himself, um, will be an excellent on-ball defender for, for them. That, that, that's a skill that he possesses um, that they desperately need, I think, um, as we saw last season with some of the struggles defending smaller shiftier point guards. He's a guy they're going to look to in that role. Uh, the shot continues to, I think, be a question for him, um, something that he had to rebuild after you know a real uh, very very tumultuous rookie season with the allergic reaction and, and the broken foot in August and all of that um, but yeah Zaire Smith um, out of that whole group of players we just ran through um, he's the one who I most believe will be like a regular member of this rotation yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on Smith. I, th- I think he has a real chance to, if he's not on Ennis' level, to maybe even surpass Ennis this season. That might be a bit of a long shot because, as you mentioned, Brett does tend to uh, favor older players, but I, I do really like Smith's ceiling. I liked him a lot coming out of Texas Tech. And obviously his summer league was really impressive. He seemed to be a much better ball handler than he was last time we saw him. Mm-hmm. His shots coming around, he was confident, confidently stepping into threes. So there are a lot of really promising developments on that front. Um, and I think with Shake, I'm really not convinced he's a point guard at this point. Um, you know, Summer League, I think what really stood out was just his lack of kind of shake and not to not, not to be punny, but yeah, um, and explosiveness <laughs> off the bat. <laughs> I, really, I really, I think he might be more of a two guard where he needs another ball handler out on the floor with him. So I think that plus just experience is going to favor Neto at the backup point guard spot. But I, I really think I see Shake as more of a two moving forward than a point guard. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good point to make with with Shake Milton. I think one thing I do like from him is he, he plays with poise. He's he's a pretty good assist to turnover guy. Um, with, certainly with the blue coats, they they did try to mold him into to having that capability to run a team uh, and to make instinctive decisions and to facilitate for his teammates. 
So I see a little bit there, but I would agree with you that the explosiveness and the capacity to be like a reliable primary ball handler is is questionable at this stage. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I think Milton definitely has the, the IQ and the instincts to be a playmaker. But just in terms of breaking defenders down on a regular basis, I don't really think that's where his strength lies. So I, I do think in the end he'll probably need other guys out there to help carry that burden with him. So I, I tend to agree with both of you. I don't see Milton as a point guard. I never, I've never seen him as a point guard, even coming out of college. Um, so I, I think that most likely he might get even more buried on the depth chart than what uh, what you initially said, Noah, because I think he's really just a shooting guard, which means he's going to be stuck behind uh, as the season goes on, as it, and then he'll be stuck behind Smith, Thibel, and Ennis. So really, I mean, good news is that they have a nice young crop of young, talented wing players for the future, but they don't have point guard that's a concern of mine but um beyond uh Raul Nettle. uh so i guess that's a big concern of mine but like uh, with going back to bolden i think that there's a chance he gets a decent amount of run in delaware again because uh first off i see him as a power forward i don't see him as a center i don't think he's i don't think he's anywhere close to being developed into a modern nba center i think he's still too raw and the defending fives at this point. So I see him as a power forward. That means he's stuck behind Al Horford, Tobias Harris, and Mike uh, Scott in that rotation, If even if you don't include Ben Simmons in that. So I think there's a good chance he runs, he gets a lot of run in Delaware again this season. I pr- probably even more this season than last season. And that's not because he's going to regress, but just because of the lack of playing time. Um, so I see that. And then one guy we forgot to mention was... Uh, Norvell Pell, and he, you know, he recently just signed a two-way contract as well. I, I expect him to be in the mix for occasional time up in in, in Philly for, uh, you know, emergency backup uh, center uh, minutes. But I, I like Pell a lot, and I'm, I'm sure, uh, no, you've seen him a decent amount up in Delaware, so you can attest to his ability as a defender and a rim runner. But uh, I like him as a rookie as well, and we'll see how he develops even though he's 26, so there probably isn't that much more room for development per se, but just honing his skills, I, I think that he could eventually become a serviceable third or even maybe even second string center in the NBA. Yeah, I think that's um, that's a reasonable point to make with him, uh, especially it's, uh, you know, I was told by his agent, it's, it's a one-year deal for him. So look, you know, might as well... Um, see what you have and and as you know he's 26 years old so you know there is the maximum of of 45 days that he'll have with the Sixers but yeah in that time um he'll probably see some minutes and and you'll see how well those room protection skills translate um to the NBA I mean he's certainly a very exciting player to watch live a tremendous leaping ability really great instinct um and the questions are more can he do anything offensively other than jump really high and finish lobs and defensively um can he be smart about when he when he goes for blocks um when he kind of stands his ground uh can he avoid foul trouble um those sort of things so yeah i think um in those you know max of 45 days he'll have with the two-way 
Um, we'll see him get some minutes with the Sixers, yeah. Moving on from the draft to free agency, um, just your general thoughts overall on the Sixers' philosophy and their approach, and maybe kind of just specific thoughts and grades on a few of the moves. Um, obviously, they did quite a bit. They brought back a few key pieces in Harris, Scott, and Ennis, and they also signed Al Horford. They traded for Josh Richardson in the Jimmy Butler deal, and they added Kyle Quinn and Howell Neto on veteran minimum contracts. So how do you feel the Sixers did overall, and maybe what were some of your favorite moves, maybe your least favorite moves? How do you view that? Yeah, I, I think they did quite well in free agency. Um, you know, with, with the situation with Butler, with him um, liking Miami and uh, wanting to, to head to South Beach, uh, getting, I think, a really good young uh, and cheap given his production, you know, last year and the fact that he's constantly improved over the course of his four NBA seasons um, player, you know, and Josh Richardson, um, I think it is a nice haul for them um, in that sign and trade uh, that, that very complicated four team sign and trade. Um, and then, you know, I think, um, yeah, Al, Al Horford is a player that uh, does honestly like everything well. And if, if your goal um, as it pretty clearly is for the Sixers is to win a championship in the short term, um, I think he's the kind of player that you a hundred percent want on your team. I think again, there will be questions regarding how all these pieces fit together as there were last year, but now they at least have a full season. In fact, you know, at least, two seasons um, with this new starting five um, locked in under contract to figure it all out, to understand, you know, what offensive sets best, who should occupy which roles, uh, what rotations Brett Brown should uh, should use. Um, and I think that will ultimately be advantageous to them. So, yeah, as far as, like, Butler going, Harris coming back, um, Richardson and uh, Horford um, heading to Philadelphia. I think like the net results kind of of those major moves are a pretty clear positive for the Sixers, especially given, you know, the seeming high probability that Jimmy Butler was, was going to be move on, going to be moving on. And the fact that he, you know, was, was very high on Miami and, and wanted to, uh, to go to the Heat. So, yeah, that's kind of my takes on the major moves. And um, I think overall, like, a lot of the kind of moves on the margins, you mentioned Neto, you mentioned O'Quinn. Um, I think they did really well in that respect. And I think bringing back um, their two, you know, really only reliable bench players last season and Mike Scott uh, and James Ennis, both for, for probably cheaper than the market value uh, is a win for, for Alan Brand. And, and just focusing in on the Horford deal, because obviously that was kind of the Sixers' biggest move, um, I have kind of mixed feelings on it because I've always been a Horford fan. I live in Atlanta, so I got to watch a lot of his Hawks games back in the day, that 61 team, okay. which was really fun for me. Um, so I'm a big fan of Horford. I've always liked this game. I think he's going to help the Sixers quite a bit. Obviously, he's going to help the defense a ton. Um 
and he's going to help those minutes when Embiid sits not be quite as bad as they have been in the past. But obviously the deal is a four-year deal for pretty significant money. He's already 33, so how do you see that deal aging, and do you think that the Sixers might regret maybe committing long-term money to Horford? I think it's a, it's a real possibility. Um, I think regardless of how you know fastidious you are about keeping yourself in shape and eating right. And, you know, Al Horford seems to be, you know, the utmost professional in that regard. Um, it's likely that at 36, 37, you're not going to be the, the same player you were at 33. Um, I, I would honestly be surprised if there's like a real ugly decline from Al Horford, just because I don't think he's someone who relies tremendously on his athleticism, I think a lot of his game is is predicated around his, his intelligence. And I think, you know, that standstill outside shooting ability uh, will, will probably still be there at 36, 37 years old. But yeah, I mean, 100% um, think that they're probably going to be overpaying him, you know, in the final year of that contract. And I think the way they looked at it is um, if they win a championship or two in the first uh, two or three years of that contract, then they don't really care. And I think that's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm in agreement there. Obviously if they win, it becomes a lot more palatable in the final years. And just given the circumstances that there was basically no way Jimmy was returning. Um, I think it was a nice pivot. Um, I think my main concern with Horford with regard to his decline is just his lateral quickness because obviously one of his better skills at this point is his ability to defend on the perimeter, to switch. We've seen him guard Ben Simmons really well in the past. I'm not sure that aspect of his game is going to be great in four years and considering the fact that he's going to have to play a lot of four next to Embiid where he's out on the perimeter more often, I think there's some real area for concern there. But on the whole, like you said, I think it was a win-now move, and it's it's one I think is very much understandable given the Sixers' goals. So just moving on to the Butler sign-and-trade, which we've already mentioned, just as a whole, do you think Josh Richardson was a fair return? Obviously, the Sixers didn't have a ton of leverage in that situation. Do you think Richardson was a fair return, and how do you see him playing next season? I think he was a fair return, yeah, I think. Um, like getting getting a good young um, two two way player um, in a situation where where Jimmy Butler was in all likelihood on the move um, is a positive for the Sixers. I think he's going to probably be asked to guard a lot of point guards, and I'm interested to see how he does in that role. I think. Um, I, th- I think it's a role that in all likelihood he he will thrive in. I think he's a really, uh, really good, good defensive player. Um, and really, uh, they've, they've leaned into this identity this offseason of we're just going to be an absolute defensive terror. And Josh Richardson uh, is going to be a really key piece of that. I think uh, other ways he can contribute are as a pick and roll scorer. Uh, something that he, you know, has has grown in recently with the Heat, um, and as a spot-up shooter, you know, increasing his volume um, pretty dramatically last season uh, to over six three-point attempts per game, 
uh, was a little, you know, like a tick over league average. Um, but I think just his his ability uh, to to hit spot up threes, to hit threes off the dribble, um, are qualities that that the Sixers will like. And um, for a team that you know during Brett Brown's tenure has pretty much every season struggled with turnovers, the fact that and this was Jimmy Butler as well, Josh Richardson is a is a quite good assist to turnover guy. Four point one assists to uh, one point five turnovers last year um, is another area where the fit is really is really nice. I think um, for the Sixers. Yeah, Lucas, I think that kind of dates into your next question. Uh, so kind of, go, I'm going to alter that my next question a little bit because you kind of already answered it. So I guess, can, can I guess, where do you see on the pecking order, uh, you know, the, you know, offensively, you know, Embiid's going to get his, gonna is going to be the main focal point in the half court. Simmons is going to be the main focal point in transition. You know, Harris is going to be the secondary in both transition and in the half court. Where do you see Richardson and Al Horford, um, you know, in that pecking order, you know, in the offensive pecking order? And let's just primarily say the, the uh, half court here. Do you see them? Uh, I, I personally, I see, I see Richardson as a third option in the half court. Well, I guess it depends on Ben Simmons, but let's say for now the uh, the third option in the backcourt offensively. Where do you see Richardson and Al Horford, for that matter, fitting in offensively in the pecking order? Yeah, I guess firstly I maybe just wouldn't agree 100% with your assumption um, that Tobias is always going to be that second option. I think a lot of the time, especially late in games where there aren't a ton of transition opportunities available and making post entries might be difficult, he's going to be the primary option for them. But yeah, turning to... Uh, fair Dyer, enough, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, turning to, to Richardson and Horford, I think I'm really curious to see what Brett Brown uh, does with his rotations. I think Richardson... I think it would make a lot of sense to use him, uh, stagger his minutes a pretty good amount with Simmons and have Simmons and Horford kind of, or sorry, having uh, Richardson and Horford kind of being your two main offensive threats, like on a second unit with uh, with a James Ennis and a Mike Scott um, kind of being spot up shooters around them. Uh, and then maybe that, that fifth guy can be interchangeable. Just an, just an idea that, that kind of comes to mind about maybe a way to utilize Richardson's ability in the pick and roll um, where he won't necessarily always have to be pushed into that fourth or fifth scoring option the way he might be when he's having his minutes with the, uh, with the starters. So, so that's, that's kind of my thinking with Richardson. I think uh, his, his three-point shooting with that starting lineup is going to be uh, the number one skill they look for with him. Um, and I think the Sixers team, just given how, how big they are and the post-up threats they have in Horford and Embiid and um, in Ben Simmons is probably going, they're probably going to be playing a lot of inside out. So I think Josh Richardson is one of the 
shooters, uh, safety around those guys, that's where he's going to be getting a lot of his look with that uh, starting five. I think instead of staggering Simmons and, and Richardson, I think personally for me, I think it would be wiser to stagger Harris and Richardson and kind of always have a winning score. And, you know, we don't know if Ben's going to become that this season or not. But right now I would see, uh, you know, stagger, uh, you know, Harris and Richardson kind of have them, you know, always have, a uh, you know, somebody that can create off the dribble on the floor and, you know, stagger them, you know, how you would stagger Embiid and Horford. But I guess my question is, uh, my next question is, do you think, uh, you know, this is, I think this is going to be, uh, I think this is very legitimate concern. Can the combination of Richardson and Horford make up for the loss of J.J. Reddick's three-point shooting? Because, I mean, Butler wasn't really a threat from downtown. I mean, he could hit shots, but that was, that's not his game. So, really, we're missing out on the floor spacing of J.J. So, I guess my question for you is, do you think that Richardson, the combination of Richardson and Horford for that, that, uh, that deport, departure? Right. Um, I think they will miss J.J. Reddick on the in part just because of the production with the three-point shooting, but also in part because of that perpetual like off-ball movement, the two-man game with Embiid, uh, his, his screening, an underrated quality, I think, that he brought to the table. So I think they're going to miss Redick offensively. I think uh, Al Horford and Josh Richardson are, are both capable three-point shooters. Um but I think their their shooting offensively is is probably their 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 biggest weakness right now, and that's part of the reason that a free agent like Kyle Korver, you know, would have been appealing, and that he could have at least helped make up for that a little bit. Um, but I, I don't I'm not like you know overly worried necessarily about their their three point shooting or or think they have a huge deficiency there. But I think it is kind of going to be a, a question that they have to address. It's going to have to come from multiple guys to fill that void. Um, but Horford and Richardson, you know, I think shouldn't be underestimated in that respect. Um, you know, Richardson, that really high volume last year, I think, is notable. You know, over six, six three-point attempts per game. Um, and with Al Horford, you know, ha- has been a 37% three-point shooter, also on a pretty decent volume for a power forward over the past uh, three seasons with the Celtics. Because the Sixers on a free agent like Kyle Corver, do you think a guy like J.R. Smith would be an ideal, uh, you know, consolation prize per se as a floor spacer? Because, you know, back on those Cavalier teams when LeBron James was there, he was essential for floor spacing. So do you think the Sixers should pursue a player like J.R. Smith then? Uh, I wouldn't say ideal, but I'd say um, I wouldn't dismiss him the way some folks might um, just because of, you know, some of the possible reputational concerns um, that that come with J.R. Smith. Um, I, yeah, I think it's, it's fair enough that um, in a marginal role, um, on a second unit, and provided he's willing to accept that role and they feel comfortable with him in the locker room here, 
Um, sure, he's he's someone that you that you might consider pursuing. Um, I I'd prefer a player like a Thabo uh, Cephalosha, um, who also brings you, I think, the the defensive side of the ball uh, a lot more than than a J.R. Smith might, and you know, it is a, a good uh, spot up three point shooter, good veteran presence, good locker room guy. Um, but yeah, Jared Smith, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't immediately, you know, poo poo the possibility of um, just because of the name maybe being kind of a, a bit of a polarizing one with him. So we've already obviously touched on a couple different options now, but um, the Sixers still have two open roster spots at the moment. Are there any other free agents in particular or just general archetypes or types of players you think they should pursue uh, before the summer ends? Yeah, I, I think the two we just named would be high up on my list. Cephalosha, I think, would be number one. Um, you know, there's there's some other other players out there that would be worth uh, worth consideration. I think Iman Shumpert um, is someone available who you know has has produced at, at an NBA level, um, can create his own shot. Um, maybe not not the same sort of outside shooting. Um, that you might be getting from the Cephalosha, but he's another worth considering. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if they head into the season with one or both those spots open and then uh, look to the buyout market and see what's available there. Uh, just give themselves some flexibility in that respect. Um, but yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious to see what happens. I think um, out of all the group, you know, I'm I'm pretty confident in saying Cephalosha is the one who makes most sense and who I'd be least surprised to, to see them sign as a, as a free agent. Yeah, I think I agree in regards to, to um, Tabo. You know, the Sixers obviously are prioritizing defense at this point, and, and he's far and away the best defensive player out of that group. But I do think one thing that might set JR um, apart from the, the other names that we've mentioned is just how dynamic his shooting is, both off the movement, off the dribble. That's something the Sixers are obviously going to miss with J.J., which we just talked about. Um, Smith is someone I think that Brett Brown can kind of throw into similar actions as J.J. He might not be the same passer um, in a few of those situations, but I do think that's one skill set the Sixers might be interested in, and that might give J.R. you know, maybe a leg up. But I do think, overall, I think Tabo's the best player of that group. Yeah, that's, I think that's a good point about J.R. Smith. Um, I just think with with any of these guys, you have to consider, you know, the role they'd be coming into. Um, with J.R. Smith, I just don't don't see him playing any. I I wouldn't think it would be smart for him to be playing any more than like ten minutes a game on this team. I I still. Think uh, think the bench with with Mike Scott and James Ennis, you know, as as your primary first two guys coming off, is preferable to like throwing J.R. Smith into a really major role. Um, maybe it's me again being kind of um, swayed by just some of the some of the things with his past and his reputation, but uh, just just with the track record there, like I'm I'm not sure I trust him to be playing like huge minutes, especially you know, in, in his 30s the way he is. So that's just where I stand on that. Yeah, and like you said earlier, I think there's a good uh, chance the uh, Sixers keep one or both spots open for uh, buyout guys, and I wouldn't really be opposed 
So yeah. Using those minutes earlier in the season on guys like Zaire and Matisse, and maybe sure. seeing how they do earlier in the year, and then maybe close to the trade deadline and the buyout market, kind of evaluating their options and moving on from there. Yeah, that would make sense, and that reminds me that Corey Brewer is still out there. So uh, that that legendary Corey Brewer. Man, don't don't tell me with Corey Brewer. I, I love me some Corey Brewer. But no, I, I tend to I, I get your hesitation on JR's uh, based on his personality. Like, trust me, I had that initial hesitation too when I figured found out that he was going to be a free agent. Uh, I do agree with Chris about his off ball, his ability to shoot. Uh, you know, his movement off the ball. Another uh, another thing that I would like to point out to you guys: if we agree that. Jake Milton's not really a point guard. Then really the only other point guard on the bench right now is uh, Neto. And Neto hasn't been super healthy in his career, minus his first season. He hasn't played more than, what is it, uh, I believe no more than 40 or 50 games in any given season after his first. So there's, there's concern for me there, and I think... Instead of getting another wing right now, I think we should see what the young guys have. I think our, you know, we can leave a spot open, you know, for the buyout market, but I think we need to get another point guard to, you know, shore up the depth there. Because, oh, well, like I said, I don't, I don't trust Neto's health, and I don't think Milton's a pure point guard. So, personally, for me, I think getting a guy like Trey Burke would be say. an ideal steal. Yeah, I think Trey Burke would be a perfect fit in the second unit. He can create off the dribble. He, Yeah, he's not going to be a plus defender, but that's okay. Sixers need more people to create off the dribble, and Trey Burke is still on the market. I'm pretty sure the Sixers could get him for, you know, a minimum, a veteran's minimum, and I think he would do... I think he would surpass Neto in the depth chart, and I think he would be a really good second unit point guard for the Sixers this season. Yeah, absolutely. That's a very sensible solution to address some of those questions at backup point guard. So, yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, I, I like Neto a lot of, a lot as a backup option, but it's um, certainly fair to raise the, the injury history with him. So, yeah, good. definitely a great point there, I think. And just moving on um, from free agency as we kind of wrap things up um, here towards the end. Um, Obviously, yesterday video came out of Ben Simmons shooting around in workouts. I personally don't really put a ton of stock into those things um, in the offseason. But was there anything there that stood out to you? And how much um, stock do you think Sixers fans should be uh, putting into that? Yeah, I can 100% uh, like understand the, the excitement of many fans of, of seeing him make threes and you know, you don't want to necessarily, uh, like, put a negative spin on that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, we've, you know, I, I, I've seen him in practices, you know, hitting three, four, five threes in a row, you know, hitting mid-range jumpers and little, you know, one-on-ones with, with other guys after after practices. Um, so, you know, it, it's not it's not new from him. Obviously, the, this video from his career, trainer Chris Johnson they're they're going to show the shots he makes they're not going to show the shots he misses and you know the the other thing I think you have to note is that there didn't seem to be any major differences in his form the the elbow seems to still be flared 
Um, he seems to still kind of almost be blocking his own shot with his right hand and getting some of that side spin, um, which, you know, while those things are, are still the case, I'm not sure he's ever really going to be a, a consistent shooter. But uh, I, I guess the, the positive outlook on it is he's taking shots in scrimmage settings. He's, he's certainly determined to, to work on his game and understand that his jump shot is a weakness. And, um, you know, it's probably not unrealistic to think it's an area where we could see some marginal improvement this season, just given uh, where he's coming from and the fact that he shot 25.3% uh, from 10 feet and out last season and, and only 60% from the foul line. But I don't, I mean, for me personally, I don't see that video and immediately think, you know, oh man, this means Ben Simmons is going to now be a, a knockdown shooter from three. Um, but, you know, I think maybe a best case scenario for Sixers fans that's also, you know, somewhat reasonable is there's some significant improvement. Um, he does continue to up that free throw percentage by a few more points. Um, but for me, like, the form still has to be a concern. Like that's still something that needs to be seriously, uh, seriously remediated on his part. Um, so yeah, very, very interesting, um, very interesting video there that we saw. I think it's just a positive from the standpoint that he's willing to let us see like him attempt shots now like you said we didn't see any that he missed but the fact that he's showing us i think is showing confidence in it i think i never thought that it was him that he i never thought he couldn't make these shots i don't think he'd make them at a high percentage i think it's been mental kind of i i i understand like with Fultz, i understand that he had an injury but i, I to say that not a, that it was completely just physical with Fultz is it would be foolish i think at this point uh, but I think, you know, it's, it's similar to Simmons that he he's unwilling to shoot these shots. And maybe this is I don't need him to make a lot of these shots. I me personally, I, I have no, you know, no stake in the team whatsoever. I think for the Sixers, if he just he's willing to shoot these shots, he doesn't have to make them or make a high percentage of them. But shooting these shots, let alone in games, you know, will help spacing tremendously. And I, I hope that this is a sign that he realizes that. Yeah, per, perhaps. Um, I mean, I think Simmons, especially for you know just having turned 23 years old, is an incredibly smart player. And my my sense is that part of him not taking many mid-range jump shots is that he understands. Just number one, like for an average basketball player, the mid-range jump shot is not an efficient shot. And then number two, for him, a well below average jump shooter, it's like a horrendously inefficient shot. You know, he was one of the mm -hmm. worst jump shooters in the league last season, you know, shot two for 21 from 16 feet and out. Um, so there, it's it's a fascinating case. And, and I, I think it's, it's certainly... Um, your perspective is understandable of maybe if he just shows that willingness to take them, it does help spacing. Um, I think there's really no way for us to know what impact exactly him taking more mid-range jump shots um, would have on the spacing of the Sixers until he actually does it. Um, so I'm, I think like all 
all people who watch the Sixers, it's it's a storyline that's um that's really interesting to follow. Yeah. Yeah, and going back to your, I was just gonna address your point, Lucas, about uh spacing. I don't even know if I would consider Simmons taking shots a major positive, or I don't necessarily think that it would increase spacing unless he's consistently making them. Because we've seen guys like Giannis and even Westbrook who take threes but don't make them at a high clip, and defenses still sag off to a pretty great degree. So until Ben is really making those shots, it's still going to be an inefficient look that defenses don't really respect. So I think part of that has been just knowing his strengths and playing to his strengths, which is smart. So until he's really consistently making those shots, I don't think Sixers fans should really need or want him attempting a ton of threes or especially mid-range jumpers in-game. I think that's that, a that, point. Yeah. That's a fair point. I think that's a fair point, too. Definitely, yeah. And probably the the area in the short term that um, you'd hope to see the most growth is with that free-throw shooting. I know Brett Brown was pretty... I uh, was pretty frank, you know, at his exit interview and saying, like, given the work that, you know, Ben put in with his jumper, it's disappointing that that free throw percentage only improved from 56 to 60 percent. You know, we expected greater growth there. Um, so I think, firstly, you'd like to see him continue getting to the line a little more. He got there, uh, I guess, four, 5.4 times per game last year. You'd like to see that in the six or seven range and see that attacking mindset. And then secondly, you'd like to see him um, from for the Sixers converting at a, at a higher clip than, than 60%. So um, that, that's a number that I think is worth continuing to track throughout the course of next season, whether he's able to improve that free throw percentage a little bit. But I think with the shot, all of it, um, or, or a large part of it is contingent on on just that form, and um, we'll see if he's able to. I, I think he knows. He he said he knows that his elbow has to be under the ball. He knows that he has to follow through. Um, that he can't, you know, that side spin is, is not the type of spin he should be getting on his shot. But um, those were very very dominant issues last season. Um, and yeah, I'm really curious to see, to see what it looks like, uh, for this next season. Well, thank you so much, Noah, for coming on. I have one more question before you leave. Give us your one bold prediction for the Sixers next. Sure thing. Yeah. Um, I I might've mentioned this or alluded to this earlier, but I think it's, um, Zaire Smith ends up being part of the playoff rotation and has like a pretty important role to play guarding in some instances, the opposing team's best player. If that's, if that's a point guard or shooting guard um, and being someone that they look to for lockdown perimeter defense in the playoffs, I think that's my bold prediction for this upcoming season. Uh, Zaire, I, I wrote a feature on him. I guess it was a month or two ago. Got to talk with um Tyler Lashbrook, the Sixers player development coach who, who works closely with Zaire. Also talked with um, his high school head coach um, from Garland, Texas, uh, JT Locklear, and just got, got to learn about, about who he is and his personality and his work ethic. And um, he's someone who, who picks up things really quickly, who just has an insatiable desire to get better, just has, has all these 
qualities that you really like in a young player. And then he has these like world-class athletic physical tools. Um, and that's, that's one intriguing, one promising package there. Um, and I think, yeah, so my bold prediction is that it comes together uh, for him this season. Not that he's going to, you know, reach his potential this year, but in the sense that he becomes a part of the Sixers playoff rotation and makes some, you know, important plays for them defensively and with his athleticism in the playoffs. All right, Noah. Um, we really appreciate you have, have um, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, you're welcome back anytime, of course. And just one last time for our listeners, can you remind them um, where they can read your work, where they can follow you on Twitter, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Yeah, so again, uh, I'm Noah Levick. I write for and cover the Sixers for NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com. So you can read my work there. You can also read on uh, my excellent colleague, uh, Paul Hudrick's work there at NBC Sports Philadelphia. And you can follow me on Twitter at, at Noah Levick. <laughs> You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.